Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Reclaim Podcast. I'm your host, Whitney Elise, just a black girl out here trying to help everyone do better, including especially herself. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. If you're new or if you're new here, hi, hello, and welcome. I know the show is late. I know the show is late. I was trying my damnedest to get this up. So y'all forgive me at the time I'm recording this. It is Thursday, March the 2nd at 3.17 p.m. I... Essentially, I got slammed with some work and it's not the fun work that I do. It's like the worky work stuff. And I'm like, "Ugh, girl, why? Um, and uh, yeah, yeah. I also had my feelings hurt this week. We may or may not talk about that um, at the end of the show. I, I need you to put your pitchforks and your uh, your nooses down. I'm fine. I'm just, <laughs> I um. I have to be careful around y'all because if I say something annoyed me or upset me, even the slightest, like y'all are like, we ride it on. And I appreciate that. I love that. I love that about y'all, but it gets to be a little dangerous. And so I have to watch what I say and how much I reveal, but outside of, um, suffice it to say that I have my little feelings hurt. Um, and I was a little sad. I've been a little sad the last few days. Um, we may or may not talk about that. But I do have a lot of things to talk about. So let's dive into this show. Um, But wait, before we dive into this show, let's talk about last week's episode, which was entitled Emasculated with a question mark. And we define what emasculation is and what it is not. Um, Actually, before we do dive into the show, I want to share a little something with all of you. With regards to last week's episode, we talked about emasculation. We talked about men. We talked about men being able to do stuff and live life. And um, I can think of no better example of this than the budding friendship that is happening currently between Jonathan Majors and Michael B. Jordan. And so I ran upon a clip um, on Variety's Twitter variety of the publication um and it's literally michael b jordan getting his uh hollywood star of fame and um i just want y'all to hear a little bit of how jonathan majors speaks about michael b jordan so let's take a listen if it'll let me Chiefly, I want to honor the, uh, the Jordan family uh, and his deep personal friends, Coop, that's you, um, who helped get this fella um, this far. I see you back there. It's all love. When I move around Mike or Bakari or Creed or Donnie or Michael B. Handsome, or Sexiest Man Alive, Adonis. Um, I'm reminded of the tale of Hercules, the story of a young man who was born as a mortal. And he gets to a certain place at a certain time, and he gets to a crossroads. 
And the gods say to him, okay, you can go right and live a life of vice, which is fun. And we do have fun, um, but it's fun. It's, it's all the things you, your parents tell you to stay away from. And then you've got the road to virtue. And on the road to virtue, it's going to be tough. There's 12 rounds, actually. They call it the 12 labors of Hercules. And this morning, thinking about what I was going to say about my brother, I thought about that story. Michael, to me, represents a uh, mythical character. I don't think it's an um, act of luck or an act of uh, chance that so many people see him um, as Adonis, that he was cast as Adonis, that he has taken this story and, and pushed it forward. So in these 12 rounds, you got Hercules dealing with uh, 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 lions and tigers and bears. There's actually a, there's actually a labor in which he actually has to steal a, a belt from Amazon, a belt. Um, I don't think that's a coincidence. Um, in my time with Mike, I like to say I'm new to the party. Um, I've seen him fight in, in many rounds, in many things. Sometimes it's his body given out in the day of shooting. And him looking at me in the eye and saying, let's go, let's continue. And it's hot, very much like Hercules and Hades, traveling down. We're in that final round, it's hot, we're tired. His uh, empathetic um, agility is being pushed to its nth degree. He's got to deal with my crazy ass. <laughs> Everybody's pulling on him. Liz needs something. <laughs> Girlfriend's tripping. And I'm giving him hell in there. But he's dealing with it, with a mythic effort, with a godlike integrity. I watched my brother deal with many things, sometimes on the press tour. Tired, I get to go home after lunch. He's got another round, then we've got the premiere. I watched him stand up straight and smile and be grateful and keep his heart open when folks were coming, when the haters come, and the haters come, bro. I watched him move with integrity each and every round. The 12th round idea is that of the championship round. You got the 10 rounds. These are things I learned from Mike. You got the 10 rounds, that's pretty standard, but it's those last two rounds of the championship round. And I've watched Mike every time swing and fight and win. Sometimes those things happen at Canoga Park in a Motel 6 when he's up against it and he thinks he's going to lose his actor. That was me. We were having problems with the deal. And I watched this man, this movie star, drive to the hood and sit in a Motel 6 with me at, a, at 4 o'clock in the afternoon on a Tuesday. And we don't know each other. That's a champion heart. That's a championship round. I watched his brother mend his brother one day during um, rehearsals, I fell through a drain and I tore my knee up bad. I walked into the room hollering, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. The first man that got to my side was Michael B. Jordan. And he took me in, he doctored me up. He looked me in my eyes, he said, you're gonna be okay? Everything's gonna be okay? And he sent me on my way. And I was okay. And when I got back, he was the first person with that movie star smile, with them beautiful eyes, it's hard to stand next to him. They keep being like, hey, you want, you want, my, you want, to, take a, you want to take a picture with Michael? Yeah, shit, if I have to. It's all right. You 
laughing because it's true. Um, but he was there, and he's continued to be there. And then there's the round of intimacy, and I'll end it with this, where it takes a lot to move through the world the way he does. And I watch him, and I admire him, and he encourages me. Creed one, well done, cool, inspired me to, you know, get an Equinox uh, uh, membership. Um, Creed two, I invited about 13, 14 young black men at the Yale School of Drama to check it out because I knew that whatever Michael B. Jordan was doing and putting it into the world had some good in it and that he represented us in the best way possible. One day, me and Michael are sitting in this restaurant. It's early on in the, and I'll conclude. We're sitting there and we look at each other and we're eating. And I think we're having a mezcal, which I'm a Texan and that's quite standard for me. And uh, I don't know if Mike had had one. I don't believe he had. It was his first one, uh, which I'm quite proud to say, hell yeah. Um, and we're sitting there and we're chatting, and maybe it's the mezcal, or maybe it was the divine connection between us, that we kind of looked each other in the eye and we said, um, hey man, let's be friends. Just kind of like you do when you're talking to somebody, you know, in, in high school or elementary school, and you say, hey man, you, you want to be friends? And we say, yeah, yeah, let's be friends, man. And um, he's held that contract up so deeply and so fully, and it, and it, it, it breaks my heart with so much joy and satisfaction uh, to call you my friend, brother. Um, I'm so glad Coop went first, because he walked through all your badass movie stardom shit, because I'm just talking about the fella I know, the fella I trained with, the fella that you know punched me in the face multiple times. Um, that's the guy I know, and that's the guy I've come to love. So this Hercules story, at the end, he goes these 12 rounds, and the gods come down, and they take him to Mount Olympus, and he transforms from man to deity, from temporary to eternal. We talk a lot about legacy, my brother in the quiet times between um, the anime credits. I see that look in your eyes. We've all witnessed it. That's what this moment is. Today, brother, you go from man to God. You sit amongst Olympus. And I honor you. I love you. And we are all so proud to call you our son, our brother, but chiefly, I am extremely honored to call you my friend. And I love you. And I'm very happy about this. And don't be talking shit later about it. <laughs> but you deserve it. No man on the planet I know deserves it more. I love you to the moon and back. That's that. Thank you. <laughs> that was Jonathan Majors uh, delivering one hell of a speech um, to his friend, Michael B. Jordan, as he received his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And my goodness, 
every time I hear Jonathan Majors open open his mouth, um, it's some form of wisdom coming out. Um, I have a theory that someone went back in time and brought this man um, from a bygone era (laughs) because he's just, he seems while being so in tuned with what's going on so not of how we think these days and his his tenderness when it comes to supporting and talking about and engaging with his friend that you feel in that speech and there's a reason why I play the entire speech you feel that is so powerful and so prolific and it makes those who come and talk about you know the emasculation of black men and how black men you know engage with each other and you know they can't they can't hug each other they can't do anything beyond a dap up or a sock in the face like that black men are supposed to be stoic and emotionless unless they're expressing anger um and the dehumanization that happens to black men from other black men and black women um, and society's standards, but especially I'm speaking specifically for our culture, doesn't affect him. And I just I find it so beautiful that he's just like, you know, what? I'm gonna just be me. I'm gonna do me. Um, I can be this, you know pilot I can be this Kang the Conqueror I can be this uh, I could be this other boxer this formidable boxer in this film I can be you know tick in uh, Lovecraft Country I can be you know anything I can be this actor but when I'm back to me I'm grounded I'm secure I'm comfortable Um, And I'm going to make other people feel grounded, secure, and comfortable and valued. And you can hear it in his words. And it just, anyway, go back and listen to last week's episode if you missed it. Like I say, every single week, there's only one person. There's, I say the same thing every time, Jesus. There's, (laughs) I make the same mistake every week. Um, There is is no one um, who minds you uh, streaming this podcast, binging this podcast, Um, so I appreciate y'all. Um, and I appreciate y'all for listening to that speech. Let's get into this week's show. Let's hit these church announcements. Hit it, Earl. Let the people of the reclaim say amen. Glad to be here. Say amen again. And say amen one more time. If you really like the show, we glad that y'all here today. And these will be your church announcements. Let's get to these here church announcements. So. I know we haven't done just like a street segment of church announcements in a while. And I'm kind of excited, kind of nervous uh, because some of these stories carry a lot of weight and I don't, let's just see what happens. So according to the Associated Press, the House Ethics Committee on Thursday today announced that it is launching an investigation into the New York Republican George Santos, the embattled first term Republican who was admitted to fabricating major parts of his resume while running for office. The committee voter voted rather earlier this week to open the probe, which it said will look into whether Santos may have, quote, engaged in unlawful activity with respect to his 2022 congressional campaign. Um, I feel two ways about this. One, I feel very Lizzo. It's about damn time. 
about it. And but two, I feel frustrated. I feel really frustrated because it's like, girl, <laughs> does lying not count as does lying not count as unlawful? Um, like you're, I feel like they're going to bypass all of the lies that he told, um, and look into like specific, like financial things that he may or may not have done allegedly may, may or not have done. Um, but like the lies, like he straight up told people that he was Jewish, that he said he had Jewish, uh, ancestry and, and, and implied that his, his his grandparents fled Hitler and then went on another television show when called out about those uh remarks and he said no I didn't say I'm Jewish I said I'm Jewish so we'll see what happens with that girl I also just found out that um this is not in the notes but I also just saw that there is after some pretty intense and heated debate it is now possible for officers who were injured in the January 6th uh, insurrection attempt um, to sue former President uh, Donald Trump. And I want to, I'm, until I see some actual paperwork, that's all I'm pretty much going to say because we have been tap dancing around the legalities and all this other stuff. We had the entire January 6th commission. There seems to be like, you know, they handed over their papers to, you know, the, 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 the higher powers that be that Merrick Garland runs. Um, and I gotta be honest as a, as a citizen of this country, I watched armed police. They looked like they were going to war line up against people who look like me who were carrying nothing more than backpacks water and a cardboard sign marching for our lives I then watched them brutally brutally assault and harass and hurt and follow and stalk and <sighs> people who were walking and marching for the lives of others and for their own lives um, to be treated fairly in one of the biggest civil rights demonstrations, the biggest civil rights demonstration in the 21st century. People who had pending court cases and all these other things to come around and find out that 90% of the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, Black Lives Matter movement, um, just, you know, uh, why is the word escaping me, y'all? Y'all get the point. Those uh, protests, those displays, um, that 90% of them were peaceful. And the ones that weren't, the ones that were not peaceful, there were outside agitators. And there's data to prove this. There's data. You know, we have videos of, you know, people who may or may not have been involved in the police forces going and breaking windows while you see black lives matter organization organizational leaders screaming at them please don't do that please don't do that you know there's actual video evidence of this um so it's very telling the response to what happened in january 6th how slow things have gone because I, as a black person, know and have seen how fast things can go 
and how justice quote unquote works and the justice system quote unquote works when it's against you. So we'll see what happens to George Santos now that the Republicans are, have hold of the house. Um, I don't anticipate anything's going to happen. Um, I'm sure the people who voted for him are like livid. I would personally would be, um, but we'll see. We'll see. Speaking of, uh, trash politicians, according to the Tennessean, a Tennessee state representative is backpedaling after he suggesting he suggested adding hanging by tree as a method of execution during a discussion this week in Nashville about a bill concerning capital punishment. Representative Paul Sherrell or Cheryl, a Republican from Sparta, um, made the suggestion during a criminal justice committee meeting on Tuesday while lawmakers discussed HB 1245 and an amendment to the bill that would allow for death by firing squad as execution method in Tennessee. First of all, what, what, what times are we living in? Hanging by tree, death by firing squad. What is, what is wrong with y'all? Like, I was just wondering, could I put on an amendment? Could I put an amendment on that? on that that would include hanging by tree also Sherelle asked during the committee meeting he then offered to sign as on as a co-sponsor to that bill <sighs> y'all what <laughs> what is happening we are bringing we're trying to make lynching legal in the state of Tennessee I don't know if I talked to you guys about the state of, the state of Tennessee and why Tennessee um is it means so much to me um clearly i was born in pennsylvania but tennessee is where my people are from um on my mother's side uh the plantation where my people were held is in tennessee uh, my great-grandmother's home which was a hub for all of us and you know where we used to visit where we used to spend time that sort of thing that's all in tennessee my grandmother is in Tennessee. My cousins, just so much family, Tennessee, Tennessee, Tennessee. And so it's, I know Tennessee has been a problem. I know Tennessee, like most states, unfortunately, have been a problem. But my God, wanting to add lynching to a bill about capital punishment in the year of our Lord, 2023. It's very, very bizarre. There have been calls for him to step down. There have been calls to um, to remove him from office. Um, again, it's the same thing with George Santos. We'll see because it feels like there's no floor with Republicans. So it kind of doesn't matter how like terrible or what terrible things they do. Uh, Matt Gates is sitting right there. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene is sitting right there. Like there's no floor, you know. And unfortunately, the Democrats are too self-righteous um, or in battles to try to see who can outrighteous the other one um, to really do the work of like calling out these behaviors. Oy, oy, oy. Um, OK, moving on. This is not actually a national news story, but I really want to talk about it. So for our segment this week called In Those Tweets, 
Um, I will be referring to a tweet by one Barrington Martin II um, at underscore Barrington uh, II, which says, we hear all the time about the horrors of slavery, automatically assuming that all slave owners were hateful, vengeful, and sought to inflict inflict their slaves with fear. But it's funny, funny. Mm. We never hear about those slave owners who led with kindness and who wanted their slaves to be in the best shape mentally as well as physically why do you think that is the man said yeah we hear all the time about the violent and and deplorable behavior of people who were literally human trafficking other humans but you know what what about the kind ones what about the nice ones why don't you think that is as if he's trying to pose a getcha gotcha like mm no, no, sir. That is not the get you gotcha you think. This man literally asked, what about all the nice slave owners? And I would like to counter that with, there were none. And the way I know that there was not a kind, nice slave owner is because they owned slaves. And to own a human being in chattel slavery Hear me now, I'm being very precise about my language. I'm being very careful, um, but I'm also being very clear. To own a human being in chattel slavery makes you a monster. Because in the chattel slavery form of slavery, you are not a person. You are a product. You are not an immigrant. You are an import. You have no identity outside to serve and to please your master. No one cares that you have a cramp. No one cares that you have a toothache. No one cares that you're tired. No one cares that you may be nine months pregnant. No one cares that you're old. No one cares that you're young. They used to sell infant babies out screaming out of their own mother's arms. They used to tear families apart with no question about it no care no concern so no there are no kind slave owners and before you jump up and say well what about the black slave owners the majority of those here this is why I say I'm gonna get a shirt that says ask better questions because y'all need to ask better questions why were black people owning slaves true there was a portion that wanted to be just like their white counterparts and say that they owned people their shit too but the majority of black slave owners the majority of black slave owners were buying their families back they were buying their families freedom i want you to think about how messed up that is that after these people have gotten free or maybe they already are free and they're just working towards buying these other people. They then had to earn enough money, which took a long time being black and people didn't want to pay you or pay you correctly. Um, in those times during the, in those places, in those ways, cause you weren't viewed as a whole ass human. <sighs> they had to save up enough money to get their families back, to get their people back. And that's the, the story of the majority of, the, of black people who own slaves. There is no good slave owner. None. So you can go ahead and erase that myth because it's not true.
Mm -mm. Because if they cared about the people and if they really led with kindness, they wouldn't own slaves. They'd be an employer. They would pay people good wages. They would make sure people have good housing. They would take care of their people, not force them into chattel slavery. Now we can, there's, we can have a whole show where we talk about the different forms of slavery because we can go through in history and there were people who enslaved themselves where they said, you know what? I'm going to become a slave to you. It was not chattel slavery. And in that society, when people would do those type of things, there were laws and cultural practices and understanding amongst the people on how to respect and treat your slaves. It was not chattel. It was not the slavery that we know here. That's a brand new one, brand new type of slavery. And in those forms of slavery, you can be freed. It was more like an apprenticeship. Yeah, it was more like an apprenticeship than slavery in itself. True, there were forms of slavery that were brutal. None more brutal than chattel slavery. The one that black folk endured since 1529. So, just to keep that. Uh, Barrington. Also, Barrington got embarrassed. Can I tell you, poor Barrington, if you guys are on Twitter, you guys can go see the embarrassment of Barrington because he opened his mouth and anyone who could grab that damn tweet did. And someone, oh, let me find it. <laughs> because my mouth, when I tell you my mouth was agape, just wide open, wide open when I saw it because I couldn't believe it. I'm like, this is the this you of 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 the decade of, of, of the 21st century. So this person, this person um, who's at is first name seven, three, six, nine, two, eight um, tweeted. I knew you look familiar and then tweeted a picture of what looks like a bunch of friends getting together for Halloween. Right. And they're dressed up as the mystery, um, not the mystery machine. That's the car that they drove, but the show, um, the, the Scoo Scooby-Doo, Scooby-Doo show. Um, and so it's all the characters, it's Fred, it's Daphne, it's Velma, it's, um, Shaggy and then Scooby. So all the people, all the people characters are white people, right? Noticeably, Scooby is a black man. Scooby happens to look just like the black guy that tweeted that tweet. And in fact, I think he confirmed that it was him. But yeah, he's and he's kneeling. He's on the floor. He's got no shirt on. He's got a collar on. He's got a random spot, random spots on him to look like Scooby. Um, and I'm like, oh, this is uncomfortable. But yeah, those are the types. Also, I made a whole entire video on TikTok. I don't know what is going on with black British folks um, from Idris straight up saying, I don't want to be black anymore. Well, I don't want to be considered a black actor anymore, which I get the sentiment of what he's saying. But throwing away your race, it sounds very much I'm not black, I'm OJ ish. And the world will remind you very quickly that you are indeed black. So you might as well embrace it. Also, Idris's climb is very interesting because he says he doesn't want to be a black actor. But if you look at his uh, filmography, the reason why he is where he is 
is because of the support and the championing of black people. You know, we could call Tyler Perry in the room if we'd like to. But yeah, um, but I don't know what's going on with the black Brits. And I'm not saying every black Brit. Let me let me just be clear. I am not saying every black British person is like this. But I made an entire TikTok video of three. I'm talking about three specific ones. And I don't know what's going on over there. But black Brits should not be speaking on the plights of black Americans. You see how we keep our opinions to ourselves and someone's going to be like, oh, the diaspora war. We're not having a diaspora war because we're speaking in English. We're speaking in the colonizer's tongue. This is not di- not diaspora war. Um, the bigger point is that we've all been colonized. OK, and we're all one boat stop away from one another. OK, so. As I was saying, those three were they just kept talking about what's going on with black Americans. Um, so they can get the likes of people who would call them a nigger as soon as they had the opportunity to. And it's a really weird flex. Like it's a weird, really weird thing to try to get the attention of those who hate you because you look like me and don't care nothing about your, um, your accent. But the fact that you're saying things that they like to hear and talking about the people talking bad about the people that they like to talk bad about. So you get your little clicks and your likes and your views. Meanwhile, you're being divisive to your own people, the people who would stand up for you, the people who would advocate for you. It's very strange. It's a very strange behavior. Someone needs to study it, not me, because I'll end up getting mad. But somebody needs to look it up and, and decipher this. All right, let's get on to our next portion of news. Oh, Jesus. Um, where, <laughs> where do I start with this next story? Okay, so y'all know about Rachel Dolezal, right? <laughs> First of all, any podcast that starts off with y'all know about Rachel Dolezal, right, is already in a in a bad place. Um, <clears throat> but for those who are unfamiliar with the story of Rachel Dolezal, Rachel Dolezal was a woman. She was actually, let me look at my notes instead of trying to pull this out of my head. Um, by now, many of us have heard the story of the former Spokane NAACP president, Rachel Dolezal, who, quote, identified as black, quote, and then was outed by her family as not so. Um, so, yes, she was uh, in the middle of an interview and the interviewer asked her about her black heritage and she started, you know, mumbling, stuttering and falling over her words. Um, her parents have outed her as a white girl. And she was standing there like with all the bronzer, the braids, you know, that type of stuff. Looking very much like a light skinned black girl. Um, since then, she's become a bigger pariah and a joke. I believe she's making like she's just when, we, when Black Lives Matter was happening, she was out here making shirts. Um, and people were like, well, what are, what are your shirts benefit? She said it benefits the three kings that live in my house. And we were like, no, girl. Bye. Bye. Um, so Rachel Dolezal has essentially become a joke, but there have been other people who have been called out or called themselves out as well. One of those was Jessica Krug. I believe I talked about it um, a few years back. She is a white professor of quote, politics, ideas, and cultural practices in Africa and the African diaspora at George Washington university. She outed herself out on medium, um, as a black woman. For the entirety of her professional career, she is also a white woman. Um, This is a woman who's won book awards, scholarships, um, all kinds of accolades from 
organizations that champion black folks. Meaning there were black folks in the running that didn't get those awards, that didn't get those scholarships, that didn't get that support that they may have needed, but definitely wanted um, because of this white woman dressing up as a black person. Right. I actually have to look up and see what happened to her um, after she outed herself out. Like, I know that she had to leave her school and all these other things, but I'm wondering if they like stripped her of these honors. But there's another one. And unfortunately, this one happened in my hometown of Philadelphia. The latest is the story of Raquel Evita Saraswati, a activist and official in the AFSC, which is the Friends group, the, the Quakers. Um, if y'all don't know around here, um, Pennsylvania specifically, uh, Philadelphia um, specifically, we have a big affinity for the Quakers. We have a big affinity for the Friends. They were some of the first abolitionists. Um, the Quakers are all right. The Quakers are all right with us for the most part. I know somebody's going to email me, uh, what about the time this one Quaker did this? Can't speak for every individual. Can speak for the, um, the history of the group. The Quakers are all right so far. Um, I'm sure something will come up. Um, but yes. She, uh, so it turns out her real name is not Raquel Evita Saraswati, but Rachel Elizabeth Seidel, who claimed Latina, South Asian, and Arab descent. According to her own mother, she is allegedly, quote, white as the driven snow. That is a quote. <sighs> I'm sorry. <laughs> That's funny and sad to me. This behavior is not new of white people taking on marginalized identities. Um, I'm a point to your boy, George Santos, out here taking on Jewish heritage. And look at him. He's sitting in an office right now. I wouldn't say exclusively because of his uh, alleged Jewish heritage or the lack thereof, but I would say it helped. I would say that would have helped. Um, but this is also reminiscent of the black fishing. Y'all remember I did an entire episode about black fishing. Essentially, for those who don't know what black fishing is, it is when white women literally take on the aspects of black women um, to make themselves look like light skinned black women. They get brand deals. They get endorsements because these brands are not looking, you know, for actual heritage. They are just looking to see, oh, you're a cute girl. You have a big following here. Let me give you a brand deal here. Let me pay for this here. Let me do that. Um, but there were a lot of these white women being called out for black fishing, um, for pretending essentially to be black. Meanwhile, there's dozens, if not hundreds, if not thousands of actual black influencers who they don't get paid the same as their white counterparts, who don't get invited on the brand trips, who don't get the shine that white influencers do um, and would have loved those spots that those alleged uh, black fishers took. The implications are really staggering, like when you think about it. But back to Saraswati. Saraswati joins people because this has been confirmed and she has some, since stepped down. Um, Saraswati joins people who instead of effectively using their privilege to benefit those um, that they quote advocate for they lied about their own identity for their own social gain think about it 
Jessica Krug should, could have been Jessica Krug and still taught about um, the cultural practices, the politics and the ideas in, of Africa and the African diaspora. And it would have been, she just would have been a white teacher teaching about black things. Rachel Dolezal could have still been the president of the NAACP as a white woman because the NAACP was founded by multiple groups of color, not just black people. And it was founded for multiple groups of color. So she still could have been the president of the Spokane chapter as a white woman. And it would have been fine. Um, Rachel Elizabeth Seidel could have still remained an activist and still remain an AFC, AFSC uh, official. She still could have remained in that position. And it wouldn't have bothered anyone. Now, I'm not talking about her converting to Islam. Like, her faith practices are not a cultural practice. You see, it's, it's different. So she could have been Christian. She could have been um, Islamic. It would have not have affected her race, you know, because there's white people that are Islamic. There's white people who practice every faith. So, but still, Rachel could have stayed Rachel and still helped the causes of the organization that she was part of as like the it was like something like the chief diversity officer like some some nonsense not that the the position is nonsense but like she could have been effective as a white woman in that role in fact even more so because he, both all of you know Rachel Dolezal and Jessica Krug and Rachel Seidel all of them could have used their privileges as white women to get into conversations with people who wouldn't listen to people of marginalized descent or from marginalized communities. And rather than do that, rather than actually doing the work, you know, we constantly talk about doing the work. What is doing the work? It's dismantling hate. It's dismantling the, the walls that were built to separate us and building tables and making room. It's taking your own privilege and using it for good until you have no other use for it. Like it becomes useless because no one, like we're all on the same playing field. So nobody really has privilege in that way. <sighs> Instead, they did this for their own social gain. They did this for their own attention. They did this for their own benefit. And what's it leave these organizations with? Like I'm thinking about Jessica Krug and, you know, George Washington University, like it looks bad on their credibility. You know, I'm thinking about the students that sat in her class, many of whom have like made posts of their own where she is like chiding them and fussing at them, yelling at them, um, telling people that they're not black enough, actual black people, mind you, black students, right? Um, what happens to the Spokane NAACP with Rachel Dolezal? Like you leave this vacancy and now there's, there, there's this distrust, you know, same thing with the friends, with the organization, with the friends, with Rachel Seidel, like, honey, you could have just been who you were. You don't have to put, you don't have to lie about who you are. You don't got, you don't have to lie, Craig. You don't have to lie. <laughs> I had to throw it in there. Um, uh, for those, who, for the girls who get it, they get it. Uh, but you don't have to lie, Rachel. You don't have to lie. 
According to The Root, after a few dedicated supporters of the AFSC wrote an 11-page open letter detailing the ways she succeeded in being a, quote, culture vulture, they documented everything from the year she converted to Islam, uh, TV appearances to a walk through um, her family tree with documents providing provided from her family they even found that she had multiple web profiles including a wikipedia and scrubbed from the internet like i said she has since resigned so white listeners wherever you are um i want to i want to call you into the room there is a reason why you feel called to this work um it's not because you want to put on airs and be quote considered quote quote a good human being. You want to be considered a human being. You see the connectivity between us all and you find yourself as a global citizen, a person who cares about all of us. You were born with white privilege. Okay? That doesn't mean that you don't face hard times. That just means that you're not you don't face oppression because of your color of your skin. Okay, so you still can have the life that you've had, but none of the trouble that you've gotten into or the, the, you know, the attacks that come against you, none of them are based in your skin color. That's all white privilege means. Like me, I, ha I am considered an able-bodied person. I have able-bodied privilege or able privilege. Um, and in that, you know, some folks want to ignore the plight of those who have who are disabled. I don't feel called to that. I want everyone to feel included, no matter what their abilities are, you know. And so I use my able body privilege to advocate for those who are disabled. It's that sort of thing, right? It doesn't mean that my life is any easier than anyone else. I just haven't faced oppression because of disability because I don't have any disabilities. So it's like that for white privilege. This is your time and this is your opportunity to advocate for those who do not have white privilege, who aren't, their faces aren't in the money. Their story isn't told in history or it's not told as often or it's told during a certain month for certain observations or you notice that their stories are under attack. Um, looking at Florida and Texas, and a lot of those states like that. Oh, Virginia too. Um, and so I want y'all to consider this. How are you dismantling the, the things that give you privilege? Are you actually doing that? Are you actually intentionally choosing to dismantle the things that give you privilege? Are you holding the door for the folks who don't look like you? And I don't mean like, like, physically I mean this in in a metaphorical way are you holding the door for for black folks are you holding the door for Asian folks are you holding the door for Latin folks are you holding the door for queer folks because um, I'm assuming I'm speaking to cisgender heterosexual white folks um, but are you holding doors for mar mar marginalized communities and how are you holding those spaces how are you actively using your privilege to start conversations with folks who will never talk to any one of those other groups but will easily talk to you and feel comfortable around you how are you doing that um uh, that's just something i want us all to consider uh, 
okay, that's the end of that story. Um, I would like to end the show with a quick tribute to a fellow Pennsylvanian. And it's so cute that this happened right when it did. We actually found this news out in uh, on February 28th, the last day of Black History Month. And so I tweeted, walking out of Black History Month and walking into Women's History Month, congratulating Representative Joanna McClinton on becoming not only the first woman, but the first black woman to be Pennsylvania's Speaker of the House. Congratulations, Joanna. You deserve, you deserve. And I cannot wait to see what you how you enact this role, how you um, add your own flavor to this role, this position. Um, in the 200 years, good God, I could say so much, but I won't. In the 200 years that this ro- role has existed, um, here you come. <laughs> and I say yes and amen. And I cannot wait to see you shine, girl. You better go. So. That is it for this week's episode of the Reclaim Podcast. Thank you guys for your likes, your shares, your subscribes. Thank you all for tuning in. Please, please, please. It takes 30 seconds. The majority of you guys are listening on Apple Podcasts. Even if you're not listening on Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening to um, this podcast, um, please leave a review, drop five stars, let the folks know how you feel about it. If you could drop five stars and some words, I know on certain platforms, you can only drop the stars. Drop all them stars, girl, all of them. But, and girl is gender inclusive in this, in this regard. Um, but yes, girl, go drop the five stars. <laughs> I'm ridiculous. Um, and let the folks know how you feel about the show. Um, what else? Oh, oh, oh. If you want to join the baddest bees of the, <laughs> I'm feeling really goofy. See, I love talking to y'all. Y'all make me feel better. I had a really rough start to this week. And when I tell you, I am just. Uh, I love talking to y'all so much every week. Um, but yes, if you want to join the baddest bees in the patron streets, you can join my Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Whitney Elise. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Whitney Elise. There's exclusive content. There's two episodes of the Reclaim Side Note. There's another one coming soon. Um, that's an exclusive podcast specifically for the patrons go ahead on over sign up there's five different tiers i appreciate any support that you guys have it keeps the show independent and keeps a smile on my face um and i shout out my patrons every time a new one comes along so i'm looking forward to shouting your name out as well um and that's it for this week's show thank y'all so much and um stay well be well drink your water um be kind to each other be kind to each other y'all and peace I'm not going to